message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Good job, guys. How you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, So today we're going to talk about this fun word, anointed which is a very churchy word that we use a lot. Um, but I want to talk about what it actually means. And uh, it's funny because I start off, uh, usually when I'm uh, going to speak, I start, off, I start off with some sort of, uh, hey, they're talking to each other. It's like a, uh, <laughs> the babies are talking. Um, I, I, I start off and um, I have a theme, an idea, and I wanted to talk about teamwork. And uh, there's a moment that happened last week where... Um, it was a moment between my daughter and I. She's four and a half years old. Now, how many of you guys are parents of small children? Anybody? Yeah. Um, how many used to have small children? Yeah. So um, uh, the one stage of life that I am uh, wanting to graduate from is the stage of car seats. I hate car seats. I was telling uh, Second Service, I was like, listen, if somebody wants to get rich, like super rich, like wealthy beyond uh, imagination, all you have to do is invent a better car seat because these car seats are out of control. You have to, you have to take them from one car to the other. It's out of control. So my daughter, uh, she uh, is excited because she graduated a, to a different car seat stage. So when you first get them, the, brave, the babies, they, they're, they're in the little like thing, and you put them in the car seat, it just clicks in, and then there's that. And then they, they get a different car seat, and then they, they eventually, they're sitting up, and then, you know, eventually it turns into a, uh, a booster seat. And that's where my daughter is. So she's like, yeah, booster seat. I'm, I'm an adult. Um, I'm like, almost, baby, almost. I found out her grandpa put her in the front seat the other day with no seat. I'm like, what? She, she tells on him now, so it's good. Not, not my dad. It's not my dad. It's the other grandpa. Anyway, I shouldn't say any of these things. Um, <laughs> so my daughter thinks that she's an adult. And, um, and, and it's honestly, my wife and I are trying to teach our kids to be independent. We want them to be, you know, um, able to do things on their own. And so uh, my daughter, I was taking her to school, and we were running late, and um, as usual, um, it's when the dad, it's funny when I show up late, it's just me and all the other dads showing up late. And, um, and so I was trying to get her there on time. I was a little frustrated, you know, it was one of those mornings. And so she sits in her uh, seat and she grabs the, uh, uh, seatbelt, which is the normal seatbelt. And she goes across her shoulder and she's trying to reach as she's sitting in her seat, trying to reach the, the, the click, the, the click, you know, the part where it clicks in, the seatbelt. And she's about two and a half inches away <laughs> from, from doing that. And I'm watching it, and I'm on the other side, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, honey, let me help you. She's like, no, no, I have this. this is, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to do it myself, right? I'm like, okay, all right. So she keeps struggling, and I, we go, we go uh, you know, on and on about this, and, and eventually... Um, I, I say, honey, you need to let me help you. And she gives up, and I help her. And she's bummed. She's sad, right? And so we're driving to school, and I thought, you know what? This is a teaching moment for her. And so I started talking to her, 
about the importance of doing things yourself, but sometimes you need help from other people, right? And it occurred to me, kind of a, a, a God moment, that this wasn't just a, an example for her or a lesson for her. It was a lesson for me, too. I realized something that when we work in strengths and we work uh, in our gifting and we work uh, hard at that individually, that that only works in the church context when we have each other because we have different strengths and we have different things. And there are many things that we can do on our own, but sometimes each of us individually, we need each other in order to move forward. And I just realized that, that for Olive, she was sitting there trying to do it. I was in a better position to just help her. You know, I was just in a better position. That's it. And sometimes it's about position. Sometimes it's about talent. Sometimes it's about gifting. But in the end, we need each other. We really do. I used to uh, study, um, or I used to uh, follow uh, this idea of strengths-based leadership or strengths-based um, uh, uh, um, working, and, and what it is is it's a, it's a test you can take and basically teaches you your strengths. And the whole philosophy behind strengths-based is that you work, you ignore your weaknesses. You don't, you don't work on your weaknesses because you're never going to be great at what you're not great at naturally. Instead, you're going to be great at what you are great at naturally, right? So work hard at that. Um, and the idea behind it, to make it simple, is that nobody cares uh, how well Michael Jordan sang the national anthem, right? Like, they cared how he played basketball. And, um, and, and, I, and, I, and I definitely uh, believe that in the church setting as well, but at the same time, I think it only makes sense when we work together. Because I have strengths that you don't have. You have strengths that I don't have. We all have strengths that the other person doesn't have. We all have um, experiences and pasts that the other person doesn't have. And some of you guys, you'd say, Man, you don't know my past. It was really bad. Well, that actually can be a huge tool, right, that can enable you to connect with other people that have had a rough past. And if they can see you moving forward and see you doing well, then they can look at you and say, man, like, that person did it and so can I, right? And so it's so important for us to, uh, to do that. So I was thinking about teamwork. I was thinking about working together. And as I started studying, I came across this idea of what it means to be anointed in the context of being the church, in the context of being the body of Christ. And so that is what we're going to talk about. So let's pray, and uh, let's believe that God is going to speak to us. Now, I haven't had coffee today. I'm a little tired. Anybody with me? Anybody forget their coffee today? Is anybody trying to give up coffee? Does anybody realize that that's just a, it's just a, it's a futile thing to do? I'm kidding. I'm joking. All right, let's pray. You guys are, you guys are somewhat tired. I know what it is. You had your coffee. It wore off already. That's the problem, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray, God, that you would just uh, guide us by your spirit today. Lord, I pray, God, that you'd show us what you want to show us. And Lord, I pray that we would be people that believe that you can change us, that you can Take us from where we are, and you can lead us to where we're supposed to be. Lord, I pray that through this sermon, Lord, that we would believe in you more at the end, but we would also believe in ourselves more because you believe in us, Lord, because you love us. Lord, we've all made mistakes in here. We've all done things that we shouldn't do, and we've all done things that we're not proud of. 
But God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just let us see forward. Let us look to the future. Let us look to the now, actually, instead of the past. And I pray, Lord, that you guide us by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So we're talking about anointing. So we're going to talk about what that is. First uh, Samuel chapter 10, we have a picture of um, a man named Saul who is anointed king. Now, there's a man named Samuel who was the godly man. He was the prophet, the seer, they called him. And he was known in the land to be the person that, you know, he saw it how God saw it. And so people would look to him. Now, you got to remember, Old Testament is different than the New Testament. The New Testament, uh, the church, us, we have the Holy Spirit. We have kind of an insight or a power or like an understanding that they didn't always have. Uh, we can go straight to God because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, what he did. They often had to rely on each other even more. But it doesn't mean we don't have to rely on each other now. It just means that back then they, they would have to literally go to this, to this person's house, you know, to the seer's house, and they'd have to talk to him and see what's going on. And so Samuel, um, or let me go back. Israel at the time did not have a king, right? And they wanted a king. They said, we need a king to lead us. And God, through Samuel, warned them and said, you don't you don't want a king. You don't need a king. I'm your king. God is your king. You don't need this king. If, if you have a king, then all of a sudden your, your kids are going to be uh, uh, swooped up and they're going to be taken into the king's service. They're going uh, to have to fight on the battlefield. They're going to have to uh, serve in this area and that area. They're going to become slaves. Like, you don't want a king. Trust me. But the people said, no, no, we want a king. And so God said, okay, I'll give you a king. And God chose through Samuel this guy named Saul. And so in, in 1 Samuel 10, we have the anointing of Saul. So look at verse 1. It says this, Then Samuel, the man of God, took a flask of oil, and he poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the, uh, of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince over Israel his heritage, okay? So what Samuel did and what they did very often back then was they did this ceremonial anointing where they would take oil and they would pour it over their head. Imagine that, right? Like that's pretty, that's pretty uh, involved, right? I don't know if you guys have ever gotten oil, like olive oil on your hands. It doesn't come off easy, Right? It covers you. It, it actually, uh, oil actually can seep into your skin and actually, actually affect you. And like it can actually change the way your skin is, right? And, um, and, and so this, this happens. And what it is is, is, is Samuel saying, you are now covered by God to do something great, to do something big. Now, the, the result of this anointing we see in verse 6 it says, then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And so through, the pro through, the, through, the, through this prophet and this seer, Samuel, his anointing on Saul, the result was that he would become a different person, right? Now, for those of us that are here, we don't do that uh, with oil. Um, one day I was getting my car washed at the drive through car wash, and I came out, and um, a guy from our church saw me, and he said, hey, brother, how's it going? And we were more Pentecostal back then, and I said, hey, what's up, man? And he walks over, and he pulls out of his pocket some oil, and throws it on his hand, and he slaps it on my face. 
That was not what I was expecting. I was like, just get my car washed, man. I'm like, thanks. I'm going to break out now. I appreciate it. <laughs> it wasn't until later that I, I, I realized the heart behind what he was doing. You know, it was, it was uh, a symbol of him saying, hey, I believe in you, you know, and, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the heart behind it. It's funny because I was talking in the second service. I said, I said, how many of you guys realize that there's weird people at church, right? And I was like, how many of you are those weird people? <laughs> it happens. I mean, but you got to look at the heart behind what people are doing. And so uh, the anointing is a real thing. It really, truly is. And it, I'm not saying that you can't do, you can't have the oil. I know some of you do, and I'm not downplaying that. It's okay. We just don't do it as a church body specifically. We don't have a time or a thing that we do that. Um, but it's okay. If you want to do that, then realize that it's a symbol, and I'm going to kind of talk to you about what it actually is. But there's a spiritual anointing that we all have when we give our lives over to Jesus, right? Through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to talk more about that uh, in a minute. But the, uh, uh, first I want to talk about King David a little bit. So there's Saul who's anointed. And then there comes a guy, a young guy named King David. Now Saul is the king, and um, he is... Um, at a point in his kingship where he's led, he's done some great things, and he's starting to have issues. He's starting to lash out. He's starting to have anger problems, and something's happening. And, and so um, they send for this boy named David, who's a shepherd, who's a tough kid, a strong kid, right? He's a, he's a fighter in his own right, but he's not a warrior necessarily. He's not part of the army, but, he's a, but they know that he's, he's, he's a tough kid. But he also has a sensitive side. It reminds me of like a Hugh Jackman type, right? Very tough, but also can sing and dance. It's great, right? David is that guy. He plays the harp. And so they call for David to, to sit in Saul's court and so when Saul has like an episode and he loses his mind a little bit and he gets frustrated, right, they have David sing play the harp. And so David kind of gets to know this guy, but he doesn't know everything about him, but he, he gets to know who this David is. And David at this point is spending time, sometime in the king's home, sometime uh, talking to his brothers who are warriors, who are, who are, uh, who are fighting in the army. And then, and then he goes back to his home, and he's a shepherd again, right? And he works for his father. And so there comes a point in time where the Philistines come up, the, 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 the big uh, uh, opponent of Israel. And they come up, and, and they're, they're, they're kind of nasty and just mean, and they're the wrong kind of people. And, and they come up, and they, they start threatening the Israelites, right? It reminds me of a time when me and my buddies were, uh, uh, were out at the coast a long time ago, and we were walking down the street, and I think I accidentally bumped into a guy, and he wanted to fight me, and then they jumped in, and they started yelling at him, and he, he started yelling at them, and for what seemed like a, a, a solid 10, 15 minutes, they just said, what, 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 what are you going to do, what are you going to do, and nothing happened, there was just a lot of that, and, and it was the end. And, and we, we joked about it. We were like, <laughs> my buddy was like, I would have done that all day. I would have done it all night. I would have just sat there and said, what? And uh, that's what's going on here. The Philistines are on one side, the Israelites on the other side, and they're just saying, what, what, what? You know, they're yelling at each other. But all of a sudden, this giant comes through. 
the crowd and the, of the Philistines, and his name is Goliath. You know the story, right? And he stands up, and he taunts them, and he just says, you know, we're going to handle this right here, right now. You guys choose one man that could beat me, this big giant, right? He probably had a deep voice, scary-looking dude, scary from far away, right? So he must have been really scary from close up. Ugly dude, probably, right? He just rolled up with this giant sword, all this armor, massive, just stood you know, twice as big as everyone else. And King David had been going back and forth. And one day when King David came to bring some supplies to his brothers who were on the battlefield who were yelling back and forth, doing the war cry, right? He sees this Philistine come up. And David looks around, starts asking questions. He says, who, who is this guy? Like, who, who's this guy? He's taunting the armies of God. You see, David had a little bit of a backstory. He was a shepherd, right? I told you this. And in his shepherding work, he took that very seriously. See, people probably looked down on that job at that time. They're like, oh, he's just a lowly shepherd. He's out in a field taking care of a few sheep. That's not an important job. But to David, it was important because he was doing it for God. And David tells the story that um, eventually he ends up talking to Saul and tells the story of the time when a, a bear came and snatched one of the sheep, right? And David went after that bear and he killed it and got that sheep back. He protected that sheep. And then a lion came and snatched the sheep and then he went out and killed the lion with his bare hands. He says he grabbed it by the throat. A lion. This guy was tough. But it was because he saw his job as a shepherd as an important job, as something he did for God, right? And so when he went after the lion and the bear, he had no fear because he believed God was behind him, even in this lowly little job. I think sometimes we look at our lives and we say, this job isn't important. What I'm doing is, is it's not important. This isn't significant. This isn't what I signed up for. But yet if, we, if our attitude is as of David's was, right, if we say we're doing this for God, then great things can happen. And you might be able to kill bears and lions. You might be able to kill, uh, you know, so to speak. You might be able to, to do things that you never thought you could because you are doing it for the right reason and you believe that there's a God who's capable, who's behind you. And that's how David was, right? And so when he came and saw the giant, Goliath, he thought that's just a bear or a lion. No different. That guy... He called him uncircumcised, all right, which really ultimately meant that he was not a follower of God. He said, that guy's not following God. That guy's not one of us. He's not one of God's people, and he's taunting God's people, and I've got this God behind me. I can take this guy. So, so David comes up to Saul. Remember, Saul already knows who David is, but doesn't know everything about him, and David says, let me go. Let me go. Let me go do this. Now, I, I don't know if Saul thought that David would win. Or if Saul thought David would get killed and that he would be taken out of the way so that he had no threat to his kingdom. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But I do know that he allowed him to go. For some reason, he allowed him to go. And so he said, you know, take my armor. If you're going to go fight this giant, take my armor. And so David, little guy, puts this armor on, grabs the sword, and it's just too big for him. It just doesn't quite fit him. He doesn't really, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not him. It's not it's not him. It's funny. People think, they ask me, um, you know, how are you going to take over after your dad, you know? You're, and people, like, don't say it, but I know they know that I'm not my dad. And I'm like, yeah, let's just get that out on the table. I know I'm not my dad, right? There will never be another Ron Vietti, for better or for worse. 
but I'm Josh Vietti, and I'm going to do it the way that I'm going to do it. And so David was in the same way. He was in the same uh, boat. <laughs> I, I, I was saying that because I think sometimes we feel pressure to do things like other people when God has called you to be an individual and to do it your way, right? Um, God is very good like that. He's very creative, and he's very good at connecting with us individually, right? You don't have to do it like other people think you have to do it. You have to have your own relationship and make it your own, right? If I was miniature Ron Bietti, that would be so ridiculous. It'd be, it'd be so, I'm a, Wah! what does he do? <laughs> I don't know what he does. <laughs> like whatever he does. Um, I love my dad. I respect my dad so much. But one of the greatest things that he's done for me is he's allowed me to be myself. So, 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 so David has this armor on. He realizes I'm not being myself right now. And so he takes it off. He says, you know what? I'm a shepherd. I got a sling. I've killed, I've killed bears. I've killed lions. I'm going to go after this guy the way I know how. And so he chooses some stones. He goes out and he kills Goliath. And there's a book um, by Malcolm Gladwell called David and Goliath. Really good book. In that book, he talks about how David actually probably had a huge advantage because he was able to sling from much further away than Goliath could throw his javelin or his spear, which is really interesting. And so, uh, and so David actually was the perfect opponent for Goliath, but when people were looking with their own eyes, with man's eyes, right, they wouldn't have saw that, that, that mismatch. But really, it was a mismatch, and it was really a mismatch, really, because God was behind David, and David had faith, Right? And when you go fight the right battles with the right heart, believing that God is behind you, nothing can stop you, right? You're protected. And so David goes out and he kills Goliath. Now, if anybody's watching online and you have small children, you might want to pull them away right now because it gets graphic. This is a rated R sermon. So David, after he kills Goliath, the stone goes into his forehead. He runs, sprints up to Goliath, right? Have you seen that movie Troy? Uh, like the Brad Pitt's character, I assume is like that. Like he's just, like, just, a, just a crazy person. And he goes up and he grabs the sword from Goliath and cuts his own head off with it. Then he takes the head. I mean, this guy's like, probably has blood all over him. He's, he's dragging this thing, massive head, and he comes back and he holds it up. I mean, it's graphic. It's violent. It's crazy, right? And then Saul like looks at his commander, Abner, and he says, who, whose son is this again? Like, I know this is David that plays the harp, but wait, what? Who is he again? And what Saul didn't know was the exact same person anointed David before this to be king, just as he did Saul. He poured the oil on. He blessed him and said, you're going to be king. And you know what? David believed it. He believed it. I had a thought the other day, or a, a point, and I think I spoke it in a sermon, can't remember. But the idea was, we're all called to a great calling. And a calling uh, really just means invitation. It's the same thing as getting an invitation to a party and, sh- and deciding if you're going to go to that party or not, right? Or that wedding or whatever it is. We all have the invitation. The invitations are given out to all of us. And we choose whether we're going to take uh, God up on the invitation and walk in our calling. And if we do that, then you need everything that God has to give to be able to do that, that job, right? But there's a difference between a calling and a promise. 
A promise is when God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. A promise is is Jesus on the cross dying for our sins and, and, and the forgiveness that we have through that. That's a promise. But the calling has to be acted upon. We all, have, we all have both the promise and the calling, right? But you have to act upon it. And so David acted upon both. He received and held on to the promises of God, but he also walked in the calling. When, when challenges came his way, he stood up and he went for it, right? They, the, the mountain bike guys say that he sent it, right? That's what he did. He'd go for it. He'd do it. No matter what. He didn't think twice. And so in this moment... After David does this, um, the people take notice, and one guy in particular takes notice, and that's Saul's son, Jonathan. And Saul's son, Jonathan, um, he's, uh, in my book, he's a hero because he connects with David, and he connects with David in a way uh, uh, that is so crucial to David's life. And look at uh, 1 Samuel 18, uh, 1 through 3. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Now later on in the story, you can read it, it's not part of the sermon today, but Saul completely turns on David, and he chases him, tries to kill him because he's jealous, because he knows now of the anointing. He knows that the people's hearts are turned toward him, right? And so they, they, he's, he, he's, he's stressed out, and he attacks him, and Jonathan's able to be there to protect him, and, and he's just in the right spot, right? The, the, the Hebrew word for anointing, I want to go to that real quick, is a Hebrew word called masak. And it's an interesting word, right? Um, it's a common word, meaning it can mean painting a house. So you see a house that's just dingy and dirty and just kind of nasty, but then you paint it. It's like a new house. It's like, man, that house looks nice. You know, you don't even notice that house when you go down the block. But they paint it, and you're like, oh, man, that's nice. So the anointing can give you kind of a refreshed look, right? Or uh, the anointing can mean oiling a shield, If you have a shield on a battlefield, why would you oil your shield? It's so that when the arrows come, they just slip right off. Whoop, right? When the spears come, they slip right off. You're slippery, right? It's it's a protection. It can mean applying an ointment to a wound. Some of you guys in here today, you're wounded. You're wounded. And you need to acknowledge that. You need to acknowledge that you're wounded so that you can heal. Because if you stay wounded, I put an Instagram post out the other day that hurt people hurt people, right? That, that if, you, if, you, if you don't get healing, you will end up hurting yourself even more and others around you, right? And then I, I put that healing, um, people heal, like they heal, right? People that, um, that understand the importance of addressing the wounds and addressing um, the, 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 the things that have happened to them or the self-inflicted wounds. How many of you guys are afraid of no one except for that person in the mirror that sees you every morning, right? 
So you're the most dangerous person to you in life. That's true. Statistically speaking, that's true. And so the anointing can be a healing. In ceremony, it's to symbolize a sanctification for divine service. And so when you're anointed by God and you move forward in that calling, he covers you, right? When, you, when, the, when the oil is poured on your head, the, the symbol of that is that you're completely and fully covered, that you're protected, and that you're sanctified, and you are refreshed, and you are free from sin, and you're free from everything that pulls you down. Kings, priests, and prophets were all anointed to do the job, but now we are all kings, priests, and prophets in a way, right? We're all called to do the job. We are, through Jesus, through the ministry of Christ and what he did. Um, in the New Testament, the word anointing isn't lost. It's not something that they stop doing. They're, they talk about it quite a bit. And John, who was the closest to Jesus, Jesus' best friend, basically, talks about it in 1 John 2.20. Look at that. First John 2.20 says, But you have been anointed by the Holy One. Who? You. All of us. We've all been anointed by the Holy One, by God. We've been anointed, right? And you all have knowledge. So that's another thing anointing does. It gives you knowledge, right? And we're not talking about knowledge to write a term paper. We're talking about the knowledge of knowing what to do with your life. You all know what to do. You either ignore it or you follow it, right? Some of us have ignored it for so long that we think we don't even know it. But if we were honest with ourselves again, we would know it. If we spent time with Jesus, again, we would know it. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lies of the truth, right? Verse 27 says, the anointing that you received from him abides in you. It's with you always, right? And you have no need that anyone else should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him, right? And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I asked this in last service, I'll ask it to you. How many of you guys trust yourself? How many of you know that you can rely on yourself? Well, I'm here to say that alone, Without God and without each other, we cannot rely on ourselves. We are unreliable. We're unreliable creatures with base minds, right? We have a lizard brain, they say, that just has an appetite and looks for food or whatever, right? And, and, and some of you guys have let that lizard brain take over too many times, right? And it gets you in a bad spot. But we are much more than that with God. We are much more than that with each other. And the anointing and the calling that God has on our lives begins to take place and change us when we work together in the church, when we are the body of Christ, right? When we are the hands and feet of Christ, when we are the people that God has called us to be. Look at John, uh, 1 John 3.16. You know John 3.16, right? But this is 1 John 3.16. It says, but, we know, but this we know, love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Lay down our lives. What does that mean? It means, it means lay down your life. It means say, hey, this is where I'm at, but I'm living for them too. I'm living for my family. I'm living for the people in the church. 
I'm living for the weirdo that I saw today. It slapped oil on my face. Right? It's easy to, to love people that love you back. It's easy to love people who you're supposed to love, usually. But it's definitely harder to love people that you don't understand or don't get, right? So back to 1 Samuel 18.4 with Jonathan. Jonathan anointed David. He said, it says this, it says that Jonathan, after he was connected with David, he stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So Jonathan literally, he was, he was Saul's son, so he was the heir to the throne. He was the one who should be king. But when he saw David, he recognized the anointing on David. And what he did is he took his robe off and said, here, take my robe, take my armor, take my sword. You are the one that's supposed to be king. And the, 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 the humility involved in doing that was just next to none. That's why I see Jonathan as one of the greatest heroes in the Bible. And you know what's interesting is King David was actually uh, in the lineage, the direct lineage of Jesus, right? And so if King David didn't move forward, if he got killed by Saul, if he uh, didn't become king even, then maybe Jesus wouldn't have been Jesus. I don't know. So Jonathan was such an important figure, and he had such an important job at this moment to recognize the anointing in somebody else and say, I'm going to cover you. I'm 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 going to give you what I have. And for some of us, that's our role. And we don't see it as an important role, but it is a huge role. And I don't want to, I just hope and pray that you don't downplay that if that's you. If you're somebody who supports others, and sometimes um, our role is to be David, to fight. Sometimes our role is to be Jonathan. You know, sometimes we go back and forth between the two roles. But when we have an opportunity to help somebody else get to where they need to go, and you don't get to where you need to go. That's not a reason for you to be upset or sad. That's a reason for you to rejoice. Because that's what life's about in the end. Look, I don't know where I'm going to land in life. I don't know if I'm going to just have a heart attack tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to happen in life. But I know that my life is all about helping people get to where they need to be. And if you guys forget about me next month, that's fine. I don't care. That's gets better for me. I'm more comfortable that way because I get scared. But in the end, I want people to live the calling that they have been called to live. And, And I have to do the same thing, really, right? Not in fear, right? Not being afraid, but truly trusting in God and, and doing it anyway. It's funny, I talk about uh, not wanting to speak or not wanting to be in front of people. Um, I used to have like major social anxiety. I hated going to parties. I hated like going anywhere. Uh, um, growing up, I hated school because I had to talk to people. I just, I just didn't like, I don't know, it's just a thing. It's a personality thing. And so for me to stand up here and talk to you guys, this is proof that somebody can do something that they don't want to do. This is proof that somebody can do something that isn't comfortable and that it works when God is behind it, right? Um, you guys think, oh, well, you're Pastor Ron's son. You had that. No, no, no. You don't understand. I'm, like more, I'm way more like my mom. How often do you guys see my mom? Do you guys know I have a mom? She's this really cool blonde lady. She's like this big, and she's a firecracker. She's nuts. I love it. Don't cross her. Don't cross her. She's a, she's a fireball. 
but she doesn't like being in front of people either. And it's, and I take after that, I, that side, I just, I'm not that guy, but, but, but yet God said, no, I want you to do it. And that's why I want you to do it because you don't want the limelight. You know, you don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I've, I've, this is part of my uh, reason for therapy. I, I just honestly, like, I, I go, I think about it over and over and over. At the end of the day, I just stop thinking about it. And I think, you know what? It doesn't matter. It's obedience. That's what matters. And so if there's something that God is calling you to do and you don't want to do it, um, I encourage you to do it because this has also been the most fulfilling thing that I've ever done um, in life. Uh, being with you guys, being uh, connected with you guys in this way. Um, it's where I'm supposed to be. And so sometimes the calling of God, and I, I didn't say this last service, this is specifically for this service, I, sometimes the calling of God isn't the most comfortable thing to you, or it isn't the most, uh, it's not the thing you would choose. But if you keep feeling it and you know it's not the thing you, you would choose, then maybe it is God, right? And I would encourage you to just, just step up and do it. You know, don't worry. Uh, you, we, we think so much about what others think about us, but everyone else is also thinking the same thing. They're worried about what everyone else is thinking about. They're not worried about you, right? They're not thinking about you all the time. But we think this. We think, everybody's thinking about what I'm going to do. What am I? No, they're not. They're worried about you, what you're thinking. It's crazy. But don't let insecurity or fear or anything else keep you from doing what God has called you to do because that's, that's life. That's the real life. And God will give you everything you need, every tool, every, uh, every part of the heart that you need. He'll give you that. He'll give you the people. He'll give you everything you need to do what he's calling you to do. And for some of you, it's just being a better parent, right? For some of you, it's, it's going out into the mission field. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, you do know. And I would encourage you to obey and follow. And when you mess up, get back on the horse. Go Get back into the game. Don't let one mess up or two mess ups cause you to think, well, I'm a mess up, so I'm going to keep messing up. That's what happens. That's the devil's work. That's called a lie. He's lying, telling you you're not good enough or that you can't do it. Look, I, another reason that um, you guys should be encouraged is the fact that I am here today as a person. I, I don't think I'd be accepted in any other church. I, I've said this before, but I'm dead serious about that. I woke up this morning, and I was like, oh, sweet. I'm going to get there about 9 a.m. I'm going to chill out. I'm going to write my notes because I haven't done that yet. Um, and it was 9 o'clock at that point. I was like, oh, I'm running a little late. And then my wife comes out. And she's like, hey, so the service is at 9.30, right? I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, we changed the service time. Started at 9, right? And I was, it was 9 o'clock. I was at my house. I was still kind of brushing my hair or whatever. And so I, threw my, I grabbed my shoes and my belt, and I ran here, and I made it on time, and it worked out. Anyway. Love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. <laughs> I don't know why I say this stuff. Thank you for this day, Lord. Um, I pray, Lord, that, that everyone will see the heart behind what we do here. Um, Lord, we sing songs. We have children's programs. We have a message. But at the end of the day, it's just the fact that we're all together. And we're acknowledging you together. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that if anybody's here and they need, they need to just lay down their life again, or for the first time. And in return, they need to receive that anointing. I pray that you give them the courage to come up and get prayer today. I pray that you give them the courage to come up and receive that from you through somebody else. 
And if that's your will, Lord, that that would happen today, nothing would keep anybody from doing that. If that's you today, if you feel like God's tugging on you to come up and get prayer, I have prayed for these prayer people. I'm going to pray for them again right now. Lord, anoint them. Anoint the prayer people today. Anoint these prayer people, Lord. In Jesus' name, anoint them to anoint the church. So if that's you, I encourage you to come up and get prayer. Don't let anything get in the way of that. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the prayer people. It's about what God is doing, and you are invited to be a part of that. And there isn't anything else that's more fulfilling in life than to be a part of what God is doing. And so I encourage you to come up and to get that prayer, okay? Love you guys. Have a great day. Have a great Sunday, all right? I'll see you guys later. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King. Here is